0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us.
1: Do you want to, uh, again, take this opportunity? I wish I had a camera that I could kind of scan back behind you so you can see the heartbeat behind everything that's going on here today. But super appreciate our worship team, uh, the Craig family, who uh, is the bulk of our tech team here today. Uh, but want to take the opportunity to welcome you, all my brothers and sisters that are part of the South Bay Church, and uh, if you're a guest visiting with us today, great to have you, and uh, I do want to give a special shout out to Calvin Johnson. You know, Calvin does a great job of taking care of our fellowship. For uh, those of you that don't know him, he's the uh, anesthesiologist, doctor up at uh, Cedar sinai and he drove all the way down to my house yesterday to provide me with a mask. want to make sure that, you know, he's keeping me healthy, I guess, for everybody, and uh, it's kind of interesting here what he uh, put together for me. There's a, a M95 or whatever it is underneath it, but he was telling me it's not really effective or efficient without the cloth mask that's on the outside of this, which, uh, I don't know, I got to do some fact-finding on that, kind of check that on out. But appreciate Calvin and uh, his love for us, his love for the congregation, his love for God. Amen. As many of you know, last week we took up our uh, special missions offering. And uh, our goal as a region is $400,000, which is distributed to our Middle East Mission Society, uh, our Mexico Central American Mission Society, and our Nordic Mission Society, uh, as well as some of our own work locally with missions with our Spanish-speaking ministries. And uh, wanted to let you know where we're at. And in, in, in spite of the times, really want to encourage each and every one of you for your participation in this. Uh, we are at 50% of our goal which I feel good about again taking consideration all the wild stuff that's been going on. Last year at this time we were at 79% and obviously it's a little different electronically and when we meet together in person. So, do want to encourage you to uh, go ahead and let's bring that to completion. Uh, I don't have it handy here. Maybe we'll be able to stir it up before you here before the end of the service, but for those of you that aren't giving electronically, want to encourage you to mail those checks into uh David Atkins and uh, so again we can take care of our brothers and sisters around the world with the different mission societies we're a part of want to give a shout out to our uh, teen graduates uh, it was awesome to be able to be a part of that the other day uh, honking our horns uh, uh, for those of you that may or may not know one of the uh, at least the old school graduation songs that was played was Pomp and Circumstance back in the day so I had the windows down in my car I had that cranking for everybody and it was uh, dra- just great to see everyone But before we go any further, I did want to uh, go to God in prayer. So if you would, bow with me, please. You know, Father, uh, I'm so grateful to be able to be here, uh, that whatever the uh, means of getting the word out, uh, that we still have the ability to do so. Thank you for all the men and women that are a part of the service today that gives us the ability to connect as a congregation. I do want to offer up a a special prayer and petition for Mia Steberg, who was recently diagnosed with cancer. I uh, just want to uh, pray for her, pray for the family. God, we know that you've got this. Uh, you're an amazing God. Uh, just uh, help with the doctors and everybody involved with the guidance for that family moving forward. Do you want to uh, just, God, uh, pray for Stephanie Williams, knowing that she is with you in heaven now. And we're grateful for that. We, we have this incredible sense of loss. And I, I just love what an amazing example this woman was through all the varying challenges that she had as she uh, was fighting the disease. Father, we're glad that death no longer has a sting for those of us that are yours, and uh, that as a congregation, we can be encouraged to know that she has won the battle, that she's in heaven with you. And Father, for our church in Yemen, uh, just the uh, fact that they were exposed here, uh, uh, they were the, the, the name of the church and the information on some of the individuals involved uh, has been given to the government there. And we know in a lot of instances that can represent a death sentence in that Muslim country. So, Father, we pray that the uh, political situation has changed up. God, we know that we look back to the scriptures. We see how you deliver your men and women, uh, brothers and sisters, time and time again. And I I just want to pray for protective coverage for them and deliverance for them as well. But, Father, we love you. Thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, I've been asked quite a bit, and I know that this— you know, probably resonates with some of you as to how I've been doing personally. Um, and, uh, you know, wanted to go ahead and take a moment to, to fill you on in. First and foremost, I'm hopeful, I'm faithful, and God delivers peace. But it doesn't mean that there aren't some challenges that I have uh, had through this challenging time. Uh, you know, as I shared earlier in the prayer, I mixed feelings about the loss of Stephanie Williams. Um you know, the situation with the Steberg family definitely caught me off guard. But again, very, very faithful as to how God is going to work through that situation. Uh, again, the, the, our brothers and sisters in Yemen, uh, there's two women and 14 men last time I checked. And it is probably one of the most challenging mission fields that we're a part of um, here locally when it comes to, it being underground and how long it takes for them to reach out to people and just some of the different means of connection that have taken place and know that someone evidently that they reached out to has, has uh, exposed our, our Christian brothers and sisters there. And then, you know, obviously the, the, the current situations we're dealing with COVID uh, personally dealing with COVID it's a, you know, it's a COVID crazy experience for me. Just the, the borderlines that keep being moved and switched and, um, uh, there's something to be said for being able to meet together. and we're as a church, we're working on that. Uh, we'll be putting a kind of doing beta tests with a couple of the small groups here in the upcoming weeks once we get all the PPEs in that the government is uh, requiring us to have, even for those house settings. But we're working towards that as uh, the the guidelines for us loosen up. We'll have a time of training for those small group leaders that want to participate in that. So you know there's uh, there's that. And then obviously, Uh, justice and what that looks like, Uh, you know, knowing that God is a God of justice. And I think with that, I'm very grateful for God's word and that it's given us the opportunity in some ways to kind of hit the pause pause button here, looking at the situation that took place most recently with George Floyd, that tragic death. And, uh, you know, just for me, when it comes to the COVID situation, I honestly believe that that was something that was orchestrated from God and that thinking this through and looking at the justice situation in the past, looking to Minneapolis, obviously we are cameras, so it might still have been something that got out. But I personally believe in that the world's on hold right now. This has turned into a global means of, uh, basically a global catalyst when it comes to justice worldwide. And I'm grateful to see God working through that. I'm You know, I I feel sickened and saddened viewing that tragedy personally. I'm saddened by the conversations I've had with some of my brothers and sisters of color, which brings me to the uh, title of our new series, which is entitled, What Does God Require? Uh, It's going to be a four-week series, um, starting out with me kicking it off, obviously. Brian Craig will be doing the next segment, or uh, excuse me. uh, Yeah, Brian will be doing the next segment uh, entitled, Love, Mercy, uh, we're going to have Dave and Shannon Atkins who will be uh, doing their testimonial on Father's Day on the 28th. Uh, it's a teen, it'll be a teen-led service by, uh, headed up by the Lees and the Thomases, and then I'll be closing that segment out on July 4th with me and my neighbor. So this morning we're going to talk about justice, and uh, I know that's a loaded word, and some of you this morning may actually be triggered by the use of that word what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is to hit the pause button regarding what you think I'm going to be talking about. Wait for me to talk about it. And then if there are any issues or situations you're feeling one way or the other, most of you know my phone number. Most of you have my email address. And I would love to talk about whatever it is that may have triggered you. But what is justice? And, you know, honestly, justice is a uh, subject that we have thousands of years of writing, debate, and philosophical discussions that have taken place across nearly every culture of human history. Some of the greats are Aristotle, Augustine, Plato, and Kant have been engaged in these conversations. And most recently in our culture, the debate has been uh, democratized in that everyone gets a say. Everyone has a vote. Everyone has a voice especially today on the social media page. You know, I remember uh, discussing Kantian ethics in college, which led ultimately to this amazing degree of chaos in the classroom. And basically, the whole concept and theory behind justice when it came to what we were trying to develop in that class was you develop a, a maxim that leads to a categorical imperative which will enable you to determine if the maxim's good or bad. Now. I think most of us can relate to this one. So say you, as an example, someone develops the maxim, kill anybody that annoys you. Not a good maxim. No, not a good maxim, and there's reasons for that. Upon applying it, you can demonstrate that if you held to this universally, it would result in self-termination, which shows us that this maxim is irrational and non-sustainable because it's impossible to hold to. Well, if we did, everybody would be dead. But this is what I love the most about being a Christian why I love God's Word rather than needing to rely on some flawed or hallow philosophy. We have God's Word, amen? amen? The question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, are we willing to listen to and not only listen to God's Word, but apply God's Word? So what I want to do today is first take a look at the a portrait of biblical justice, and this needs to serve as a baseline foundation for the rest of the message this morning, Amen. I'd like to focus on a vision of justice found in the Old Testament. Now, for starters, as disciples of Jesus, there are probably as many ways to do justice as we have members in the church. But I would hope we can all agree with that What we're called to by our creator is to see that justice is done for everyone. Micah, in Micah 6 verse 8, this is where we're going to start out this morning. This is a good starting point. And that... Again, we're called to see justice done. Micah lived in a time of international fear and uncertainty, not a whole lot unlike what we're going through today. It was a very turbulent time for him. The kingdom was divided, Israel and Judah. There, there was this unwillingness to obey God, which led to the division and enslavement to neighboring empires. Micah prophesied from around 742 to 735 B.C., and some of his contemporaries were the prophet Amos and Isaiah, and this was during a time when the Assyrian Empire was the dominant power in the region, and there was no real justice based on what God had established for His people. So, uh, turn with me to Micah six eight, or watch along here on the screen. So, I, am I on? Well, anyway, Micah six verse eight says, "The Lord God has told us what is right and what He demands." See that justice is done, let mercy be your first concern, and humbly obey your God. So what is justice? Well, a good place to start is in the workplace. Justice in work is not just an individual matter. I believe we have a responsibility to make sure that everyone in society has access to the resources needed to provide for one's life, for one's family. And this is honestly one of the things I've loved most about Hope Worldwide. You know, we have the, the opportunity to participate with hope both locally in our communities and worldwide. This goes back a number of years ago. The uh, picture there at the top left is the, uh, I believe it was in front of the Casillas house before we all went out. I mean, it was awesome. The kids got together. We uh, put together lunches, made sandwiches, uh, had soap, cleaning supplies, shampoo, socks, things of that nature that we bagged and took up to Santa Monica to distribute to the homeless. Uh, the other picture there is a senior home home. Uh, uh, consisting of widows and a few widowers in Lebanon that was in total disrepair, covered with junk. We had the opportunity to go in and do some painting, remove the junk, and the thing that was most encouraging was the point of connection we had with the elderly men and women that lived there. We got to sing with them, we got to dance with them. It was so amazing seeing them come out of almost a catatonic state and start smiling and interacting. And this this is a form of justice, and this is what I love about hope. You know, there's a book some of you have read called "Hole in the Gospel," which talks about dealing with the poor. And in in a lot of ways, looking back at early church, we were so much about getting the gospel out and growth, but there were things we neglected, like the need to find justice and be generous and take care of the poor. And honestly, uh, I I was thinking the other night that there's a book I could write called "Holes Plural in the Gospel." And I think one of the one of the largest ones we're faced with today is in the area of justice. So with that, let's take a look at the prophet Amos and his perspective on his people, the Israelites. We see him criticizing the Israelites for injustice regarding their arrogant regard, disregard for God's law of gleaning. And for those of you that don't know, gleaning was a process by which God had established in the law that those that were unable to be, maybe disabled, whatever the case may be, widowed to generate an income, if you were a farmer, you were called to leave the edges and the corners so that the poor could come in and glean that for themselves. And there was a, during this period of time, a lot of the farmers had blown that direction off. And what they were doing now was they were, they were harvesting their field, but then they'd go back to the edges and the corners and they'd make sure that they didn't miss a thing. Those that have olive groves made sure every single olive was stripped off the tree. Those that had vineyards made sure every single grape on the ground or otherwise was collected so there was nothing for the poor. So according to God's covenant with Israel, farmers were not allowed to glean their own fields. Yet this is what was actually taking place. And I love how thorough God is. I mean, he basically created this form of social welfare based on uh, allowing setting up this opportunity for the poor to work. It wasn't a matter of them just getting a hand handout. They had to go out and they were able to actually do something that they could feel good about themselves. They were able to God give them a means of providing for themselves rather than having to beg or steal or starve. Gleaning was a, a way for them to participate in uh, dignity of work, even for those that were unable to participate in the labor market due to, again, lack of resources, so, socioeconomic dislocation, discrimination, disability, disability, or other factors. And I love this about God. God not only wants everyone's needs to be met, but he wants to offer everyone the dignity of working to meet their needs and the needs of others. So Amos reminds the Israelites that this provision was being violated. That farmers are not leaving the stray grain in the field for the poor to glean. And we see this in uh, the book of Amos, chapter 8, verse 4. He says, You people, you crush those in need and you wipe out the poor. You say to yourselves, How much longer before the end of the new moon festival? When will the Sabbath be over? Our wheat is ready, and we want to sell it now. We can't wait to cheat and charge high prices for the grain we sell. We will use dishonest scales and mix dust into the grain. And those who are needy and poor, don't have any money, we'll make them our slaves for the price of a pair of sandals. And this is just how out there we can get if we're not looking to God and God's foundation for what justice really is. This tells us clearly that justice is not only a matter of criminal law and political expression, but also of economic opportunity, the opportunity to work, to meet individual's needs and family needs. This is essential to the role of the individual within God's covenant, which had been violated by the Israelites. Economic justice is essential. It's an essential component of Micah's famous proclamation in Micah 6.8, the Lord God has told us what is right and what he demands. See that justice is done. Let mercy be your first concern and humbly obey your God. You know, this justice that's being talked about here, just as in the Hebrew, is mishpat. It occurs hundreds of times in the Old Testament, and the most basic meaning is basically to give people their due or to treat people fairly. God demands that his people, as a part of their walk with him, that with that, we demonstrate mercy, we demonstrate kindness, and we do justice individually and socially in every aspect of work and economic life. And for those less fortunate, justice generated inclusion as a part of the family, and inclusion is huge. So, okay, so justice is about giving others their due and fairness, but what do I mean by Fairness. Now, the idea is rooted in humanity's status as image bearers of God, which his disciples were called to be those image bearers. It's sharing an equal value and dignity. And, you know, does that just mean treating all people the same? Well, yes, sometimes. Let me give you an example. The justice system of Israel was to have the same mishpat for foreigners as well as the native Israelite. And that's in Leviticus 24, verse 22. And we see that very same thing when the church was birthed in Acts 2. It talks about how they were devoted to one another, that no one had any needs. Everyone gave to make sure that everybody's needs were taken care of. So it, this wasn't just an Old Testament law. This is something that carried on through, and we saw it throughout Jesus' ministry. They are to be the same rules and laws. If they're to be just when it comes to judgment, it must be evaluated on merits and evidence, not on race, status, or wealth of the persons involved. And it means keeping your oaths, refusing bribes, not giving preferential treatment to some and not others. You know, we saw this again in Acts 6, when the Grecian widows were not having their needs met. When it was brought to the attention of the church, what happened? They made sure there were individuals to represent those women, that justice would be done for them, their needs would be taken care of, their needs would be met. But I think the other thing re- that we need to realize here is justice in the Bible is not simply treating all people the same. Sometimes, many times in the Old Testament, justice is actually about preferential treatment in the name of fairness. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. How can this be? Isn't that unfair to give some people special treatment, or special treatment to one person or group over another? Well, let's go ahead and continue here. The following... Is an example, which you should have on the screen right now, is that in the Old Testament, we see this quartet of the vulnerable. And Brian Craig, you're amazing, my brother. Thank you so much for that fan. I don't know if it's the lights in here or what, but anyway, I appreciate him coming to my rescue. I'm not gonna break in a song, but anyway. I feel like it, though, just so I say it. So with this, though, we have this, in the Old Testament, this quartet of the vulnerable. There are four specific groups of people God wanted to make sure received justice, which includes the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. You know, God draws attention to these groups of people. Why? Because they were disproportionately disadvantaged. They were vulnerable, at least more often than most other groups. They had little social power influence. They lived a life of subsistence, and over and over, the law, wisdom, and the prophets offer uh, this, basically, and command special protection and treatment for these groups because of their inherent disadvantages. You know, sometimes we can get caught up in the politics of our land. You know, there's, there's opposition when it comes to illegal aliens that we have here in California. But what does the Bible tell us? How should we treat others? And I think this is the thing we've got to get back to is that it's not a matter of our political affiliation, what our cultural or ethnic background is. The foundation for all of this is justice. And it's the kind of justice that God wants us to adhere to so people can see us or see God through us." In Deuteronomy 27, verse 19, it reads, "Curses anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow." And the response to that particular passage is, then all the people shall say amen. Amen. Proverbs 31 verse 8 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Zechariah 7.10 reads, Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. You know, I've been studying out justice for probably the last four weeks now, and I'm blown away by how much of the Bible resonates for what we're currently going through today, but just this absolute disregard for what God calls us to. Um, As Christians, as a Christian nation, however you want to view it, we're not adhering to what God has established. And justice, with an emphasis on the vulnerable, is doing justice in a way to give the world an accurate reflection of God in whom justice is ultimately derived. Justice with a special concern for the vulnerable is based in the nature of God himself. I mean, think about this for a minute, guys. Weren't all of us vulnerable before we became Christians? Weren't all of us vulnerable before we became Christians? We were all poor spiritually. We were subject to the accusations of Satan regarding our sin. And here are a few of the eye-opening descriptions of this reality. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt." You know, you think about the Jews in Egypt, they were the foreigners, they were the subjugated, they had no rights, they had no justice, they were enslaved by that country and that empire. And yet, they had forgotten what they themselves had gone through and weren't granting what God had granted them by delivering them out of Egypt you know, these are challenging but loving scriptures. I love God's heart in all of them, especially regarding what Paul says in the New Testament. Paul tells about the Jew and Gentile being reconciled to God through Christ. In Ephesians 2, verse 11, it reads, Therefore remember that formerly you who are all Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ." excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And we know that's no longer the case for any of us that made Jesus Christ Lord of our lives and that Christ was the price that was paid for our sin. Justice for us as sinners would have been eternal damnation. But God provided a means of our sin being taken care of so we'd have the opportunity to no longer be foreigners, that we'd be his children because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ was willing to pay for us through that justice there's true inclusion for all that make Jesus Lord and are baptized in the name of Christ in Psalm 146 verse 7 Psalm 146 verse 7 it reads he upholds the cause of the oppressed and he gives food to the hungry the Lord sets prisoners free the Lord gives sight to the blind the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down the Lord loves the righteous The Lord watches over the foreigners, and he sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. You know, looking at this passage, who would the righteous be in this passage? You know, when any individual or group is neglected, it's not called merely a lack of mercy or charity, but a violation of justice, a violation of mishpah. God loves and defends those with the least economic and social power Therefore, so should we. That's Mishpat, that's justice done. So with these passages in mind, it's clear to me that justice is about restoring. It's about restoration. Justice is corrective. Justice, especially on a societal level, is about punishment for the guilty and protections for the innocent. Justice is about retribution for wrongdoers and reparations for victims. And this twofold picture of restoration ultimately is central to justice. Justice brings down those who step on others to get ahead and to lift those up who are stepped on. You know, for me, the most significant part of this, and this is what I love about God, the most significant part of this is relational. Justice is about relationships. It's about our relationship with God. It's about our relationship with one another. Doing justice means moving towards relational transformation and flourishing together, getting deep with one another. You know, this is what our faith families within the church are about. This is the significance of our FOO, our family of origin. to To know and be known, this is huge. To implement justice in the community needs to start right here in the church. Justice is to acknowledge a problem. Namely, that someone's out of alignment with another. You know, why do we see this talk about being resolved? Matthew 18, there's so many passages. If there's an issue with your brother, what are we supposed to do? we got to get it resolved. we got to work through it. We've got to communicate to one another. We need to figure out what is the thing that has us stalled relationally? What is it that keeps us from flourishing in our individual relationships? Righteousness in the Bible is not merely primarily about private morality or spirituality. Let's take a look at the next slide here. See, in the Old Testament, the relational side of justice is especially clear with mishpat, justice done. But it's connected with tzedakah, which means righteousness. So righteousness in the Bible is not primarily about private morality or private spirituality, but about relational morality, about spirituality, First and foremost, it's got to start with us personally and our relationship with God. If it's not there, it's not going to cross over into the rest of it. So from there, what does that mean today? What does that look like for our lives today? It's got to be first and foremost with God relationally and then with one another. Righteousness is about conducting all relationships with fairness and generosity. Again, righteousness is about conducting all relationships with fairness and generosity. You know, generosity for some might be nothing more than you being willing to set aside the time to have a conversation, demonstrating empathy. In light of everything that's going on today, how you doing, bro? How you doing, sister? I, I, I know how it makes me feel, but I, I want to get to know you. Let's talk about this together. Let's connect. Let's allow for this relational aspect of our lives to flourish. Then we'll have the ability to really make a difference within our communities. Righteousness, to put it simply, is to be in a right relationship with God and people. It's what the world would look like today if everyone embraced Matthew 22, uh, starting in verse 37. If you want to turn there with me, Matthew 22, verse 37. This is an amazing passage. It's something that Jesus carries over from what righteousness and justice look like with the law, but it demonstrates for us personally with his concern and his generosity and the love that he outpoured for each and every one of us. In Matthew 22, verse 37, it reads, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is where it starts, with this relationship with God, but then it moves on from there. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, we see Paul citing that later in one of his, one of his epistles. And, it, you know, you've heard me share this before, church. I love this in that there were 630-something individual laws that were established in the Old Testament. And Jesus comes along and says, you know what, guys? Here's the two. Here's the greatest, and here's the second, and this is all you got to worry about. You take care of these two, and everything else will fall into place. I'm I'm telling you, after going through this Appendix F and what it looks like for a church to get together again, there's, there's, I don't know, there's maybe 50 or 100 different boxes to check there. Imagine checking 637 of those darn boxes every day to make sure you're right with God. I'll pass, but I'll take these two, and I'll embrace the heck out of them and really strive to live this way, man. What the world would look like. Just imagine this for a moment. If everybody adhered to this passage and loved God and their neighbor, what would this world look like today? You know, obviously, with what we see going on today, it's not the case. The world is full of unrighteous people and it's so full of injustice. Justice and righteousness then are the work of bringing realignment, reintegration, and relational restoration to people. Job is a great. Biblical example of this social justice in action. You know, who is Job? Most of us Christians know he's a guy that really had a pretty decent life up until one and where it became totally jacked up. I mean, even his own wife at one point was telling him, dude, just curse God and die. But he, he, we have this biblical example of social justice in his life. And that Job was this wealthy man living in a land called Uz with a large family and extensive flocks. It was amazing what ended up transpiring in his life. Before God, he was viewed as blameless and upright, always careful to avoid doing evil, Job 1 verse 1. And then we see Satan approaching God about Job. You know, because God boasted Job about what an amazing person Job is, his goodness, um, his righteousness. And then Satan gets into this argument that Job's only good because you know he's blessed with wealth, he's got it really easy, he's got everything he wants, So Satan challenges God that if given permission to punish Job, that Job would ultimately turn and curse God. So God allows Satan to torment Job to test his claim, but he forbids Satan from taking Job's life. But in the process, Job loses everything. His house collapses on his children. Warring tribes come in and steal all of his camels, oxen, and donkeys. All his sheep are destroyed. All of his servants are killed with the exception the ones that brought him the messages about everything that had transpired that was going on so crazy, out of control. And in response to losing everything, Job responds in chapter 1, verse 20. After hearing all this horrendous news, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with any wrongdoing. With that, let's go ahead and fast forward to Job 29. Um, I'm using the contemporary English version on this particular translation, and I, I just love the nuances here. Here's Job recounting how he lived his life. When poor people or orphans cried out for help, I came to the rescue, and I was highly praised for my generosity to widows and others in poverty. Kindness and justice were my coat and hat. I was good to the blind and to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I defended them in court, even if they were strangers. When criminals attacked, I broke their teeth, and I set their victims free. Justice is generous. Justice is generous. Do you notice the nature of justice in action according to Job here? In our areas of service today, Job's at the homeless shelter serving meals. He's at the Department of Children and Family Services visiting the orphans and or foster children. He's in the courts fighting to right the wrongs of injustice in society. He's at the funeral home, the nursing home, the hospital, the volunteer police force. I think for us, just remembering that justice isn't just about keeping laws, and it's not even just about treating people fairly. To Job, justice is much more to do with treating people generously. These are the acts of mercy and kindness, their love and charity. And in the biblical framework of things, what we see demonstrated in his mercy, his kindness, his love, and his charity is the biblical framework that basically defines justice, I think for us as a church, we need to understand if we fail to act in mercy, charity, and generosity, this is not just a failure to do some optional thing. It's a failure to do justice as well as a failure to honor and glorify God. If you need more on that, you'll have the time. I don't right now, but take a look at Job 31, verses 13 through 28. You know, Job wanted others to prosper and to do well. So we see him working for that, that form of transformation and restoration. Job notices those whose path to flourishing has stalled, and he wants to get in there and make a difference. He did something about it. He uses his preferred position not for self-advancement, but for advancement of those that were vulnerable. And this is the biblical justice and righteousness that God calls us to. It's also the biblical acts of charity and mercy that we're called to. See, I believe if Job were here today, we would see him radically, generously giving of his time and resources to activism that seeks to end particular forms of injustice, violence, and oppression. I love Job's character and conduct. He didn't become bitter, angry, or entitled. He did demonstrate, though, this incredible degree of love, mercy, kindness, and justice that has been unequaled until the coming of Christ. And after all of this, you might be wondering, what would I like to see for each of you as your evangelist? What do you think I would like to see in the characteristics of our church, the members of our church? I would like to see us continue to transform ourselves by spending more time reading God's word than watching the news or spending time on social media. You know, if you're going to be on social media, what I'd love to see you doing is rather than arguing your political stance, how about we we get on social media and we argue the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with those that have yet to embrace it, those that have yet to hear it because of our silence in the area that we need to be vocal in. You know, I, I hear a lot about this COVID thing and we're locked in our homes and violation of civil rights and, you know, it's violating our role as Christians. Last time I checked, guys, There's no problem with this degree of interaction elsewhere in the world today when it comes to all the things that are wrong with it, all the things politically that need to change, but I'd love to see 10% of what we've got going on with all the negativity being spent on the positivity that we have through the good news, through Jesus Christ. Rather than expressing our political views on social media, how about using it as a platform to be known, to know and be known for who we are. Not as whether or not you swing left or right politically but how you were transformed and restored to the narrow path and how Jesus Christ redirected your individual lives and has enabled you to redirect those lives that have yet to know the good news. So by refocusing on what's important and meaningful to God, we can become this agent of change that everybody's talking about, but very few are acting out. God's agent of change and a light in this unjust world is what God wants us to be. So finally, for those of you that are more visually inclined, I have a short video from the Bible Project on the biblical framework of justice. And then uh, we'll come on back and we'll have a prayer for the communion. God bless.
0: If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And
2: if you are a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care.
0: If you are a panda with twins, it is normal to abandon one to take care of the other.
2: But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity
0: and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that
2: too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others.
0: Yeah, self preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them.
2: And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families, and then in communities, and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by
0: doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use. But what comes to mind is being a good person.
2: But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, Mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them.
0: Yeah, some people call this charity, but Mishpat involves
2: way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social
0: structures to prevent
2: injustice.
0: So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life.
2: Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like Here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your
0: mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word
2: wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God.
0: So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God.
2: Yes, it is what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves.
0: So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message
2: of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did
0: for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God
2: declared someone righteous when they did not deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others.
0: This is a radical way of life, and it is not always convenient or easy. It is courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as
2: yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you humans what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God.
1: Let's go ahead hey, this is John
0: in. and Tim from The Bible Project. Thanks for watching this video.
1: Pray for communion. Father, uh, thank you for the opportunity to look to your scriptures today and see what you really uh, not just would like to see, but demand of each of us when it comes to our treatment of one another and our relationship with you. Help us to never lose sight of the incredible sacrifice that took place at Calvary, uh, the blood that was poured out for us to have our sins cleansed, And uh, just looking to the amazing example Jesus was, uh, even in light of what Brian shared earlier today with Philippians 2. Father, please bless this. Uh, Enable us to uh, take the uh, bread and the wine and uh, have a clear conscience in our role in your kingdom. Help us to grow and mature relationally with you and with one another. Father, I do want to offer up a special prayer for Mia. Uh, Just God, help her through this time. I pray that she had the ability to... uh, be with us here today uh, in the hospital. But more than anything, Father, help us to have the kind of impact that you know that we can by being your image to others based on the justice that we talked about today. Father, I pray that the words that we hear from you in heaven will be mistock to stock, that we would never hear the accusation of Rashad when it comes to the way we conduct ourselves. But you're amazing, God. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you again for Jesus. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.